0: Now, fight back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio.
1: Good afternoon and welcome. The last time we talked to NDP leader Andrea Horvath, she was in the midst of the election campaign, which propelled her into the role of opposition leader. Today, we are catching up with her to find out how it's going, what it's like to operate in the context of a new majority government that is moving its agenda at breakneck speed, and what her priorities are as we move forward. Hello, Andrea. How are you? I'm very well, Libby. Thank you. How are you? Fine. Thank you. So, um, how do you like the new role? Well, it's a,
2: a very important role, that's just for certain, and having a strong uh, caucus bench of uh, 40 opposition MPPs does help us to, uh, to hold the government to account in a very strong way. And we're, uh, we're doing that job with pride uh, on behalf of the 60% of Ontarians that didn't vote for Doug Ford
1: to be uh, uh, leading our province. Were you surprised at the speed that they are moving forward with? Well, you know, what
2: I'm what I'm more uh, shocked and surprised about is uh that um, this premier who claims to uh have been uh you know all about uh, the people of Ontario has done nothing to engage the people of Ontario in the decisions he's made thus far and so whether it's uh you know the uh uh, clawing back of the basic income pilot project, the shutting down of uh, future safe injection sites, the changes to the Toronto City Council and and the regional chair positions of of uh, the other four uh, regional municipalities that he's been uh, meddling with. I mean, none of these things have been done in a in an engaging way that that uh, brings uh, Ontarians into the debate and the discussion and uh, and it's a uh, it's creating chaos on all fronts and and I don't think that's what people expected.
1: Uh, I'm going to give the numbers out again, 416 740 toll-free 1-866-744-740. I'm talking to NDP leader, opposition leader, Andrea Horvath, about what has happened since the election, what she expects going forward. And I want to pick up on uh, the changes to the municipal election, because that's coming up in court tomorrow. Uh, you used the word meddling, but the fact is that the city is a creature of the province, though it is certainly true that Doug Ford did not say anything about this during the election campaign. What do you think his motives are? Do you think they are, as he says, or is it some kind of, you know, getting back at the city or whatever?
2: Well, I mean, I think it's a, a couple of different things. I mean, I think the, the premier uh, decided that he's, you know, the king and not the premier, and so he's going to, uh, you know, determine the, the shape of the democracy of the city of Toronto, and I, I just think that that's wrong headed. I also think that it's a ham fisted approach that he's taking that's more about settling scores with uh, past political rivals uh, than it is about, uh, about you know, as I said, in- engaging people in, in their democracy. And-, and look, you know, it, it may be true uh, by the letter of the law in terms of uh, uh, the structure of municipalities and the fact that they do fall under uh, provincial jurisdiction, but we also live in a broader democracy, uh, and we do have a Charter of Rights and Freedoms that's based on fundamentals uh, such as, uh, you know, a fair due process and, and things of that nature, and people 's right to have a voice in, in their governance and uh, and these are the things he 's trampling on and he 's doing so in the midst of an election campaign that started in may and so these are the kinds of behaviors that you would see normally uh, from from uh, countries, for example, that are struggling to find a path to democracy, not well-established democratic uh, countries and uh, and provinces, and so so it does raise the raise the question: What is the motive? Is it to get back at uh you know Torontonians for not making him mayor? Is it to get back at the quote unquote progressives, which he has said himself and others in his team have said is the goal: is to try to reduce the progressive voice on council? That's not his decision to make; it's the voters' decision to make. Uh, so he he. That's a fundamental respect uh, for uh, for the role of, of, of the voters and of, of, of democracy. And if it's to get back at Patrick Brown or if it's to get back at...
1: Why City would he want to get voters, back I at Patrick Brown?
2: <laughs> well, I mean, again, I, I, why would he suddenly say that uh, people who are, um, you know, for the first time being able to do really the democratic thing uh, and vote for their own uh, regional chair, uh, why does he prefer instead to go back to a system where that's cooked up in a back room by people who are already elected? Uh, it doesn't make any sense except to uh, to suggest that he's doing favours uh, in some cases for some municipalities who want to go back to that old system to maintain power the way that it was before. Uh, and and others would say to uh, to basically push Patrick Brown out of the race for regional chair uh, um, you know, by 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 not being by not being having having an elected uh, a position because
1: you know he was a rival, a political rival uh, mm, I of Doug Ford. I, I don't really see him as ever having been a rival because I, I see that his downfall uh, paved the way for Doug Ford. But anyway, let's let's move on. Uh, we are going to be dealing with that issue of uh, the changes to the city election and the court sure. battle coming up tomorrow. We're going to deal with that as well in another segment. So yesterday, Doug Ford removed the carbon tax from natural gas bills. What do you make of that? Well, I mean, again, he certainly did say that he was going to get
2: rid of cap-and-trade, but what we've ended up with is uh, a a bit of a a chaotic situation, which is going to land us, I suspect, in the same soup as the Liberals landed us when they tore up the uh the gas plant uh, contracts i mean let, let's face it we've seen this movie before and someone who says that they're all about uh, stopping the waste is wasting a lot of public money already on lawsuits one that he just lost from tesla uh there's all of these corporations now uh that have um uh that have contra- that have carbon credits uh that are valueless Worth billions of dollars, and so you might get a couple of cents off on your on your uh, your gas bill, but you're going to pay through the nose in public dollars in, in costs for these lawsuits that are already uh, uh, being launched, and that uh, we've already lost. Some of uh, when it comes to Tesla, so again, um, let's let's look at the whole picture uh, and see the billions and billions of dollars that we're going to lose of public money uh, in this uh, in this move that uh, Mr. Ford has made. And when we end up with a carbon tax uh, that that's forced on us federally, uh, that's going to come out of people's pockets. Right now, well, formerly with cap and trade, the big polluters were the ones that paid. The big polluters paid the cost of reducing their greenhouse gas. Uh, emissions. Now, uh, everyday families are going to pay the cost, uh, not only directly from the federal carbon tax, but also of uh, the billions of dollars in lawsuit costs that this is going to create. It's, it's completely wrongheaded. Uh, and again, I get it that families are struggling and that Kathleen Wynne made a mess of things, but the very mistakes that Kathleen Wynne made, uh, uh, Doug Ford is repeating, it's just his friends and his favourite polluters uh, that are getting the, uh, you know, the backroom favours instead of the Liberal uh, environmental uh, companies, right? So, uh, again, uh, people, I think, deserve much, much better than this. And uh, and Mr. Ford is... Uh, you know, is is creating the kind of chaos that's just
1: going to cause a lot of pain for people. I'm uh, curious as to whether our audience agrees with that, and they're worried about the uh, ultimate cost of lawsuits that are being launched. The numbers to call: four one six three six zero zero seven forty. Toll free: one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. I'm talking to opposition leader Andrea Horvath. What's it like to operate? I mean, one of the takes, on what's happening now is that they're trying to get on with controversial things while they're in the honeymoon period. They have a big majority. What's it like to operate in that context? Well, you know,
2: I think the thing that's most uh, most uh, challenging uh, is that, uh, that Mr. Ford's uh, behavior seemed to be more about um, not so much controversial things, but returning of favors. And, and so when we look at the, uh, uh, the updated physical uh, and health curriculum that, uh, that was put in place a couple of years ago, he's really kowtowing to his base of social conservatives and, and ignoring uh, the fact that we're not in the 90s anymore. We're, we're in the next century. Uh, and so that's the more disappointing thing, whether when he's, you know, making backroom deals with big polluters. It's not about everyday Ontarians. It's about, you know, his his insiders and 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 returning those favors from uh you know whether it's from his leadership campaign or 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 whether it's from the the people that he rubs shoulders with in his regular life i mean he he's um he's creating a a lot of uh a lot of uncertainty, a lot of uh, of chaos, and I think he's dragging our province backwards. Frankly, Libby.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, we haven't heard yet uh, on uh, about you know the results of the value for money, the line by line audits. Uh, what are you expecting there? Well, what I'm
2: what I'm worried about is this is more an exercise uh, to justify deep, deep cuts. Uh, to our public services and privatization. I mean, that's what this uh, former BC premier was all about when he was the premier in BC. Uh, in fact, uh, his uh, his administration uh, got into some pretty hot water in terms of uh, uh, the way that they behaved and some uh, very uh, uh, troubling allegations uh, against the way that they operated, but uh, most importantly, their administration was all about cutting public services and privatizing uh, uh, public assets and selling things off and and I think the the, the worrisome thing for me uh, and I, I i believe for for many is um, that uh, that this is an exercise in 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 doing that kind of uh, laying that kind of groundwork for those kinds of cuts and look when when people can't get their parent into a long-term care facility that can provide a dignity and quality of life when we still have hallway medicine plaguing our hospitals. You know, when, when children are going to school hun- hungry and, and, and going to schools that are falling apart in disrepair, I mean, Mr. Ford already cut $100 million out of school repairs. Uh, people can't get the mental health services that they need. He's already cut $330 million from mental health. This exercise is about finding more cuts and more opportunities uh, to, um, you know, to privatize our public services. And what that means is, when you privatize public services, uh, what often happens is the costs grow. For everyday family. and the lower income families, average income families, middle uh, income families are the ones that end up paying a higher price, um, you know, by virtue of uh, of their uh, of their income, uh, based on uh, you know, as opposed to
1: higher income people. I mean, that's what that's what I'm concerned about, Frank. He he pledged in the campaign to end hallway medicine. He has a special advisor on that, and uh, he's promised to add. Tens of thousands of long-term care beds. Are you uh, willing to give him the benefit of the doubt on that?
2: I don't know how he's going to do that while well, he's cutting billions of dollars from the treasury. He's cutting billions of dollars in cap and trade. He's going to lose billions of dollars in lawsuits uh, that are going to be won by those that he's uh, that he's been um, uh, you know tearing up contracts for. He's going to lose billions of dollars in cap and trade revenue. He's going to lose billions of dollars in tax cuts. Mostly for the rich, because the rich are going to see the benefit of the tax cuts far more than our everyday families are. In fact, People earning under 40000 are going to see about $80 in tax cuts. Uh, that's not really going to help them uh, to live a better life in Ontario. So uh, I don't know how he's going to achieve these things because what we need in long-term care is investment. And what we need in hospitals is investment. And the only way we can invest in those things is through making sure that we have uh, the revenue streams to be able to do that. So, uh, again, I... I um, I don't give him the benefit of the doubt because I, I don't see how he's going to be able to achieve that while he's cutting the revenue streams uh and uh and not, you know, providing uh the um, the treasury with enough finances to be able to fix some of the the desperate problems that the liberals have left us with.
1: Okay. Uh let's uh hear from some of our listeners. We've got Anthony in North York.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah, hi hi ladies. Uh, yeah, I would like to know. Like, he, I'm not in favor of the reduction of the the city councillors from 48 to 25. But the uh, the fact is, is in of all the the municipalities in Ontario, he just like seemed to pick on on Toronto. And uh, I heard that in Ottawa, their their councillors like uh, number 24 and there's a population of uh, population of 900,000. Why wouldn't he reduce Ottawa's councillors too?
1: Good question, Andrea.
2: Well, I mean, the very minister that's bringing forward this legislation or that brought forward this legislation is from a community called Brockville. With the formula that he's using in Toronto, Brockville would have negative four councillors around their council table. So this is the problem, right? It's not an equal. It's not an equal and uh, logical. I know. I have
3: nothing against, uh, like, um, I mean, I I am in favour of uh, keeping the city councillors as they are now, right?
2: Yeah, I mean it. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever, Anthony, and and that's why that's why I think there's so much um, uh, concern about it. Is that it's not um, something that was uh, coming from a process of engagement or or any kind of consultation. Yep. There doesn't I'll seem come to be any a lot of the, Some of the city
3: councilors they don't point that out because a lot of the like I didn't know about the fact about Ottawa until about two weeks ago through uh, somebody calling in uh, one of the stations. But how come a lot of the councilors don't point that out?
1: Okay, uh, Anthony. I'm going to let Andrea respond uh, because we're running out of time. Okay.
3: Dollars, no, but thanks a million.
1: Okay, go ahead, Andrea.
2: Well, I mean, I think I think Anthony's right on the mark. I mean, and that's I think that's what some of the uh, discussions going to be about at the at the court t- tomorrow is is that there is not um a, this is not not only is it not a fair process, but it's not a fair. Uh, uh, you know, uh, opportunity for representation. Uh, when when city councillors across other municipalities have a much smaller uh, constituency in their wards, uh, that this particular city, for some reason, is targeted as deserving, uh, you know, less representation uh, than any other municipality. And, and it's, uh, there's, no,
1: there's no justifiable reason for it, really. Okay, let's take a call from Joan in Oshawa. Hi, Joan.
4: Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. <laughs> That's good. Um, I disagree with uh, uh, Miss Horvath on uh, sev- several fronts, um, and the councillors is one of them. I think we have too many uh, to uh, go around, shall we say. We need um, less, uh, because less is more. And uh, as far as um, the... Oh, uh, um, well, I'm trying to think what as far as the uh, cutbacks and that, the working people uh, that are the middle income, we're paying more for everything, uh, especially for, um, old, uh, children, for, you know, for children's, uh, like play yards and, uh, you know, uh, things like that. Uh, the, uh, yes, uh, do you have a question, Joan? Uh, kindergarten. Uh yes, I'm just wondering if um it can be seen that uh we're going to be paying less uh for daycare and things like that for the lower income families. I don't think it's fair to the middle income people who, you know, who have to put bread on their own tables you know, to survive.
1: Okay, Uh, we'll put that question to Andrea. Thank you, Joan. And uh, by the way, Andrea has to go soon, but we are going to be continuing the conversation on the changes to the municipality um, even after she goes. Andrea, would you like to answer that? Sure. Uh, First, I want to say that I, I mean, I totally respect. Jones, uh,
2: uh, you know, opinions around uh, maybe needing a a relook at the size of uh, a city council. We're not saying that it should be, uh, you know, 47 or it should be 37 or it should be 57. Uh, But what we are saying is that there needs to be a proper process, that it shouldn't just be up to uh, the premier to come in during in the midst of an election campaign uh, to by edict determine on his own uh, what the number should be. And so uh, city councils will change in size over time, uh, they will get bigger, they will get smaller, uh, but it should be the result of a proper process. And so, uh, again, I don't think uh, that there's uh, that much of a disagreement with Joan in that regard. Uh, it's more for, for us about uh, about making sure that there's a respect for, for voters and, and for people who, you know, want to protect our, de- our democratic rights. And so uh, on the other piece, look, I mean, I get what, uh, what Joan's saying uh, in terms of, uh, you know, how it is that... Um, that certain people shouldn't pay for certain things. But when you take that argument to its final uh, degree, you know, why should I pay taxes when I've never called 911 before and never had a fire fire, uh, truck come to my house? Uh, Why should I pay taxes when I've never had a child go to post-secondary education, for example? Um, And so we don't need educated people from low-income families. We only need educated people from high-income families to be able to access college and university. Why should I pay taxes for long-term care when I don't have a parent who's in long-term care? Why should I pay taxes for for school uh, when I don't have kids? I mean, and so that kind of argument, although I respect Joan's you know, uh, views, um, it, it really says that we're all on our own and we should all just have to pay for everything on our own. And what happens in that scenario is working class families, middle class families, aren't going to be able to fo- afford uh, uh, anything at all uh, on their income. But uh, but certainly high income families are going to be able to afford. They're going to be able to afford doctors. They're going to be able to afford hospitals. They're going to be able to afford ambulances. They're going to be able to afford post-secondary education and care for their kids, they're going to be able to afford to go to work um, and and uh, and be able to put their kids in child care. So again, I, we have a fundamental disagreement there, Joan, and, and I respect your opinion, but I, I disagree with it fundamentally. I think a society and a democratic society and a, a, a society that's going to uh, grow and give opportunity to all people uh, is one that um, has some collective responsibilities built in, where we take care of one another. And that's just my value system, and that's just my belief system. and, and and that's what new democrats believe in uh, all the way around is that whether you're middle income uh, whether you're low income or whether you're high income uh, you should have the ability to uh, have some some um, fundamental abilities to build a good life in a province that's got so much wealth and so much prosperity the problem is the prosperity and the wealth is concentrated in the very very high high incomes in in our country 89 families own the bulk of the of the you know of the wealth of our country uh and everybody else is um is struggling either to hold on to their middle class status or have already have already lost that and are struggling just to uh, make ends meet every day and so it, it's those other those kinds of programs that help equalize our society and and
1: create opportunity for everyone okay andrea i know you have to go what's your priority as you head into the next session in september our priority really is to, um, you know, to hold Doug
2: Ford's feet to, to the fire and to, you know, as I said, to fight on behalf of the 60% of Ontarians that didn't vote uh, for Doug Ford and to try to protect, um, you know, this, this, you know, belief and this value uh, that we're in it together and that we need to have, uh, uh, you know, a thoughtful uh, public governance, uh, not, um, you know, not what we've seen so far, which is ham-fisted approaches that create chaos And that are
1: cooked up in back rooms with with insiders that have no public accountability. Okay. Andrea Horvath, thank you so much for being with us. Hope to talk to you soon. My pleasure, Libby. Thank you. Take Uh, care. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio, heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio, heard weekdays from noon to one.